0: Hi everyone, Liz Collin here. Thank you for joining us and welcome to Liz Collin Reports, a place for truth and meaningful Minnesota conversations. On the podcast today, a well-known nature photographer, from the soaring wings of eagles to the majestic movements of our state bird on Minnesota lakes. It's been said Mark Harlow shoots wildlife images that stir the soul. His story is one of sacrifice, heartache, success, pain, and perseverance. Now, we took the podcast outside since it's where Mark Harlow admits that he is most comfortable. But Mark, thank you so much for being here all the way from Cross Lake, Minnesota to be on our podcast. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you for having me. uh, It's a true honor to be here and be with you today.
0: Tell us about your early days. I know you're a Mankato, Minnesota native, but where and how did your love of photography start? Well,
1: the photography interest started at a young age, like 10 or 12. I burnt my fingers on a number of uh, flash cubes back in the day. You know, the little uh, cubes we put on the old film cameras, that's how old I am. It was instant love, you know, just old school film. Yeah, I just enjoyed doing that the old-fashioned the old way with film, pre-digital era stuff.
0: But you sort of set this love and this passion aside to become what's called a laser scanner operator. I don't think a lot of us even know what, what that means, but explain that journey a bit.
1: Oh, I met Les Cuba at a banquet, and I said, well, how do you get that original into an art print? I mean, how does that work? And he said, well, we have to color separate it with a laser scanner, and we shoot a giant eight by 10 transparency. And then it goes on a clear cylinder, and the laser scanner will pull out all the values of the yellow and etch dots into the film plate. And then all the magenta values, all the cyan values, all the black values. And then when you put it on press, start out with a white sheet of paper. They all, all the colors go on top of each other, and there you go. And I was just like so fascinated with that. Fast forward through my career, you know, I was going to school full time for color separation and working full time at a color separation company. And September 10th, uh, I got sent out on a delivery because our driver was out and I never returned. So uh, I got in a bad car accident. They had to pull me out from underneath my own car on 35W. And I got pretty messed up and ended up losing my job. and. Uh, going through, you know, surgeries and therapies over the next two years. And so I was literally forced into sales through that car accident. On a rare day off, I was up in Walker, because most of my time off, what little I had was spent up in Walker. Uh, I went out ice fishing that day, and foggy morning, it was late March, I believe. And I heard uh, this loud honk, and it just echoed in the valley because of the setting. It's all hills and pine trees down to the lake. And when I turned around, it was like an epiphany moment. These two swans were just sitting there, and just the color of the ice and the open water, where they were, I mean, it was so beautiful. I had to tiptoe off the ice. I ran up to my buddy's closet in his bedroom, because I had bought a brand new camera from National Camera the year before, so it was still in the shrink wrap. Insert memory card, and I'm like, what the hell's a memory card? I mean, that's how... I literally started out in the digital era at Ground Zero, and got it all figured out. Got a few nice shots, and my mom fell in love. She actually teared up when I showed that image to her, and she was not a, you know, squishy, warm, teary type person. She's, you know, pretty tough because us kids we were such hellions. So, uh, but she, the way it moved her, it was it was pretty astonishing. And I knew, kind of right then and there, that it's something I should consider. And then she was adamant that I pursue the nature stuff and at that time I kind of poo-pooed it.
0: So your mom was your biggest fan believed in you the most and really helped you make that decision.
1: Yeah and she said don't waste your talents. Uh, She had a way with words that you know you knew what she meant the day before she passed away where I literally had to lift her her into my truck and we went out to the Rapidan Dam for lunch and split a cheeseburger and a piece of pie and it was there. I said I tell you what mom I'll try that's all I can tell you you know. I'll just I'll give it a try and she said yes and you have to share it with others because you know I'm still this way to this day I don't uh, share my images freely for whatever reason I just I like to shoot and download and go on to the next so yeah and then the next day she was gone and um, it hit me pretty hard and it really made me uh, rethink my life and direction and uh, sold my condo on Medicine Lake in 2005 and moved to Walker and started a gallery up there. and
0: What is it that you want people to take away from your work?
1: Well, that it's more than just a picture or a photo. I mean, I work really hard to capture those fraction of a second moments that, A, show the, if it's wildlife, to the show their personality, but yet do it in a way where it's got a powerful and artistic look to it. And I am a, an exclusive single mode shooter and what that means is I don't use a burst mode or continuous mode when I'm shooting stills. So every single photo I take since I've been a kid or whatever has been one click at a time. For probably the first 90% of the last 17 years, uh, my equipment didn't have image stabilization. So I'm hand holding these big lenses and bodies with no image stabilization and one shot at a time. With no baiting, no staging, I refuse to bait. I actually gets my blood going a little bit because I despise it and uh, I just want people to know that my stuff is truly, truly wild and authentic and even little things like spraying a flower with a water bottle some people do, I refuse to do that. If I have to go day after day after day in the mornings to try to get the dew on the flower, I will and there's been times where it's came and gone and I had to wait till the following year to get natural dew on the flower. I mean I'm just a stickler for details.
0: It's remarkable when you hear talking about hours, sometimes days to get to get that perfect shot. And you're talking about the, the wild and kind of the raw, authentic nature of these photos. I love the backstory for so many of these pictures, but I w- kind of want to go picture to picture and talk about um, some, some of those stories. Let's start with the Guardian. I know that that's a special oh, picture.
1: Yeah, the Guardian, that's uh, probably my number one selling eagle print. Very special shot for me personally, because that was the following the year that well, my mom passed away. And both, one of our last experiences we had together was seeing some eagles on the Minnesota River together. And she loved eagles, I loved eagles. So I spent that following winter down on the rivers from south of Red Wing all the way to Prairie to Shane, Wisconsin and Minnesota back and forth. And that particular bird I had um, just got over to the Wisconsin side, went to a public landing and she was sitting out on this peninsula. And it was a huge eagle, I've, se- yeah, I've seen a lot of eagles. But she was huge, and so I walked down, I'm head to toe snow camo and sit down by this fallen log by the river and just hoping she, w- I didn't know which way she was going to fly. So, but I just sat there in, in case she flew at me. Well, fast forward four hours later, I'm starving, I'm freezing, I needed coffee, you know, I thought it'd be a 20 minute down and back. And I was watching some juveniles to my left uh, chase each other on the ice and I just saw a flicker in my right eye and I looked and here she comes. And I have to make it count, right? Cause I don't speed shoot. So I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. Well, in her long flight to me, she would glide and the wind would tip her cause it was kind of windy. And that day it was snowing and then it would stop. And then the sun would peer through while the snow was falling. And it just so happened that she was locked. The wind tipped her, she was looking to her left. And all I did was come up over the log like, like this. I didn't stand up, hey, here I am. I just went like this and she just went like, I felt this power come through the lens. It actually freaked me out. It was just like, whoa, you know, click. And then I missed the second shot, and then the third, she was in the trees over me. I'm like, dear God, please let it turn out, and and it did, thankfully.
0: How about Snow Glider?
1: Oh, Snow Glider was fun. Uh, You know, it's so hard to find snowy owls in Minnesota in the winter. I wouldn't say we ever have a lot. There was one year in particular where they were around, but um, Snow Glider was way out on this um, fence line that was snow-drifted. And so I had permission from the landowner. I belly crawled as far as my back would let me. And uh, I just sat and I got within probably a couple hundred yards of it. And I did some squeaking like a mouse and it took off and it kind of flew at me, but then it veered and it was locked. And so when I got that shot that you see, it's a panoramic um, and it looks like mountains, but that's actually the snowdrift fence behind it. And the dark behind it is the tree line. And I never could get it to look at me. so. It's just kind of a unique teaser image, I guess, because you just see one eye and it kind of adds to the image. But that was definitely a memorable shot.
0: I know the pandemic uh, hasn't been easy for someone like you. You closed your shop in in Walker. Um, Your website has gone offline. But I know you are working on some exciting projects that uh, folks are going to be able to see soon.
1: Yes, and me me being selfish with my uh, private life and professional life. Uh, not many people know that I've been working on serious, uh, cinema and video work since 2019. I mean, very serious about it. I started working, uh, in 2019 doing the Loon documentary. I thought, well, we'll just do it one season and see what happens. And then that following winter, I did uh, winter otters, which are hard to find. And probably out of all the work I've done, uh, the winter otters are the most demanding and hardest on my body because of the extremes temperatures. And then. Uh, just you don't see them that often so well one year led to another to another to another and now we're on year four I hope to be done with the loons and I hope to be done with the otters this winter and it'll be both a, a compilation of my voiceovers with stills and really uh, some pretty impressive video when it comes to the loons um, what I brought today are from last summer where I had the really good fortune of watching two little ones not only survive the entire season, which is hard for any baby loon to do, between the eagles, unfortunately, uh, trying to get them and then snapping turtles from below. Snapping turtles actually, I believe, get more young baby loons than eagles. But needless to say, they have a hard, hard road to make it through just as one season. And I got to follow these two little ones the entire summer up until their first flight attempts, crash landings video as well. Uh, to their first successful sustained flight and first graceful landings. And then the parents had left uh, ahead of them. And I actually got the day when, I had to name the two to keep them separate. Normally I don't like to name wildlife, but I named them James and Lucy. And James was the male that left first. And then poor Lucy, she sat there by herself for about a week. You know, her brother was gone, it was just her. And she finally left the lake. But I have actual footage of not only the parents leaving, Each individual baby leaving, never returning. Because I was there every day, every day relentless. And uh, that was just an amazing experience. Can't wait to share it.
0: I know your story is also one of faith, Mark. Talk about that. And you also give all of the credit, it seems, uh, to God for for the images you're able to to capture.
1: Yes. And I have to kind of clarify that a little bit because um, in my former life, pre-car crash, my brother was a strong Christian and still is. So we'd have discussions, and I was on the scientific side of the equation, just meaning, you know, this is all Big Bang stuff, and there's no God, you know, basically. And uh, when I got in my car crash and it was underneath my own vehicle on 35W, uh, I, I slipped into an outer body experience, not, really, uh, not realizing it at the time. You know, I just thought I was having a weird dream, but I watched myself inside the ambulance. I remember looking out the back of the ambulance, watching traffic, watching the IV bottles swinging, on and on. From that day forward, uh, things started to happen and change, and things I can't like pinpoint. It's just these feelings and and premonitions that tend to come true, and getting a clear vision, and actually having emotions. But over you know time, it I ended up. Uh, really uh, believing in a higher power and uh, a God, and now with getting back into nature after over 20 year absence, I mean, the stuff I've seen, I mean, you just can't explain anything other than there had to be a creator.
0: Mark Carlo, thanks for being our guest
1: today. Thank you for having me, it was fun.
0: And that will do it for this episode of Liz Collin Reports. We'll be back again next week. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify or any other podcast platform. And be sure to sign up for our free daily newsletter on alphanews.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We will see you next time.